Welcome to Ohio Matters, the Cleveland.com politics podcast. I'm Seth Richardson. And I'm Andrew Tobias. And as always, thanks for listening. Special thanks goes out to the Cleveland Public Library for helping us out with this podcast. If you have a creative endeavor and you want to see how the Cleveland Public Library can help you, visit cpl.org. Again, that is cpl.org. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And when you do that, rate and review us. We're on all your favorite podcasting services, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn. And when you rate and review us, it helps other people find this show. And I think other people would hopefully like listening to us every week. And if you have any feedback, send that to my email. That's srichardson at cleveland.com. Again, srichardson at cleveland.com. This week on Ohio Matters... A change. We're changing things up on everybody, so I don't know if you guys were expecting this or not, but with Labor Day being the kind of unofficial start to campaign season, I, don't, I never know if it's the unofficial or the official, What, whatever. So people start campaigning a little more rigorously after Labor Day. Uh, we found that we were probably going to be a little too busy to do the in-depth interviews every week, uh, not just us, but a lot of the people we have on the show are, probably have pretty busy schedules. So... We figured we would share our wisdom with you in some of these uh, kind of mini-sos, mini-episodes. Drop, dropping know. some knowledge. Basically, dropping knowledge on everyone. Uh, basically, what it's going to do is we're still going to do the in-depth interviews. We're going to do them kind of on a more bi-weekly basis now where you know every other week we will come with an in-depth interview. And then in between those, we're going to uh, just sort of give you the state of play of what's going on in politics, give you, you know our take on some of the stories of the week and uh, anything interesting that happened. We figure we'll... We'll give this a test run, and if you all hate it, then I guess we'll drop it. You know, this is our podcast. We can do whatever we want. So this week, though, we figured we would just kind of break down where we are, um, the state of play of uh, some of the bigger statewide races. As luck would have it, earlier this morning, we're recording this on Thursday. As luck would have it, some polling came out. Like manna from heaven. I know, right? Some uh, some polling came out um, just this morning. Uh, that's really the first polling that we have since um, uh, the first statewide polling we have since June. Now... I should say that we, uh, neither Andrew or I are familiar with the firm who did this. It's Change Research is what it's called, and they do this kind of online model uh, where they, uh, you know, figure out the sample size. It's not quite as simple as self-reporting, but uh, I, I'm, I'm admittedly not totally familiar with it. But looking at some of the other results and uh, some of the results they've had in other states, they were the uh, only pollster to get the uh, Florida gubernatorial race, the Democratic uh, primary. Yeah, correct. and they're basically their Democratic research firm. Yeah. And uh, the organization that commissioned them to do this poll we're about to talk about is basically a Democratic group in Ohio. Yeah. So yeah, we kind of rolled our eyes at that, but it's kind of like the actual results that made it interesting. Definitely. So Innovation Ohio, a uh, Democratic think tank, are the ones who commissioned this poll. And um, a lot of the results aren't necessarily too surprising, but I think the the biggest surprise that we saw when we first rolled this poll out in the morning were the results of the Senate race. Andrew, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody that? So the last polls that we got in June, which were kind of by a more established, kind of like the gold standard of pollsters in Ohio, pretty consistently found this race around 12 to 15 points uh, in advantage of Sherrod Brown. I think those numbers probably scared away a lot of the donors who were trying to decide across the country what Senate races they wanted to target. Obviously, uh, there are higher stakes than just any individual race. It's really control over the chambers of Congress that, the, that those people really care about. And not just scaring away the donors, but even scaring away the outside money. Uh, you had Senate leadership fund kind of pull out and everything. Right. right. I, I guess not make a buy here as they did in other states. And they continue to do that. I mean, I closely yeah. keep track of their patterns and see that they're spending in places like Missouri and Montana and North Dakota uh, and Ohio is just not not on that list. So 
the fact uh, this poll showed Sherrod beating uh, his Republican opponent, Jim Renacci, 46 to 42. So it's basically a I mean, that's just outside the margin of error, if not in it. I mean, I still would read that, especially with kind of like the trend lines that we understand to be a decent brown lead, but a tight race. And everybody expected the race to tighten. And so it's not a shock for that to be the result, but just definitely is a change from June. And I think that the biggest surprising thing is that this uh, Democratic outfit had this poll and it shows kind of an embarrassing result for Sherrod Brown, who's basically the de facto leader of the ticket. And so the fact they put it out there, I think, kind of makes me take notice. Yeah, I asked a couple of people about this uh, to see what they sort of thought. And everybody kind of conceded that Sherrod Brown wasn't going to beat Jim Renacci by double digits. It's just not, you know, the state isn't necessarily built for that unless you have a candidate completely collapse in on himself, a la, you know, Ed Fitzgerald or something like that. So they weren't totally shocked by these results, but they were surprised that Innovation Ohio would put them out because it is a um, a, a much weaker stance than we've seen um, Senator Brown have uh, basically in any poll to date. Uh, it, do you think there's any reason for why maybe the race closed? Is it more people paying attention? That's kind of my theory that people I, are actually I, I think that's getting really involved. Or... Yeah, I mean, if you look at the history, uh, Brown won in 2012 re-election against Republican Josh Mandel. Mandel is a first-time candidate. He's, for all intents and purposes, basically a generic Republican in the sense that he wasn't well-known at the time. And uh, Brown only beat him by six, and that was a, a an election that Barack Obama won Ohio by three points. So, I mean, that's kind of like the makeup of Ohio in a year that a Democrat does well. There's not really a blueprint for a Democrat running kind of roughshod over the, the opposition. I mean, so 2006, which was a big Democratic wave year, Sherrod Brown beat then-Senator Mike DeWine, who's still in the game, obviously, uh, by 12 points. And, you know, that's a lot. But then if you look, like I said, 12 worked out the way it did. On the other hand, Republicans actually do have a track record of winning by some double digits, really kind of running up the score. You know, Rob Portman's won by quite a bit, thanks to, I think, a pretty favorable electoral climate for him both times. But so it's just really not that surprising to see this race tighten. I mean, I think that, you know, when you talk to Brown's campaign about this sort of um, perception that he was up by double digits because of those polls that we mentioned, I, they just never really seem to believe it themselves. So it's just not particularly surprising to see the, the race closes as, as things get closer and you start actually whittling down to voters who are likely going to show up. Yeah, but it's still telling that even with these results, you haven't seen more Republican outfits, conservative outfits, whatever, decide that, okay, we are, we're going to go stake a claim in there because it is only, what, five points, six points, whatever, or four points. You know, you, you have to assume that they have something internally that's telling them just stay out of it. There, there's no reason to go in there. Yeah, I think, too, like the fact that Jim Renacci's running statewide for the first time, I think when you talk to Republicans privately, they're not extremely impressed with the campaign that he's actually conducting. And so it's a matter of these numbers, I think, kind of lining up with perceptions. And then I think things could obviously change, but I feel like it's kind of like turning the Titanic a little bit at this point. I mean, these national groups have big plans. They spend a lot a lot of time developing them and stuff. So I, I think that, uh, you know, it's they're not going to change on a dime and, and suddenly upend their, their strategy for this kind of nationwide picture that they have. Yeah, it's definitely hard to audible, especially in a year where they're playing defense in a lot of places. Um uh, you know, not not even considering the House. I mean, um, you know, this is supposed this was supposed to be just a, um, you know, slaughtering of a year for Democrats in the Senate. And they're actually sitting pretty in quite a few states, um, Ohio included. So I think they're kind of on defense a little more than they thought they'd be in places like Arizona, Nevada, uh, even Texas to an extent, although Texas is probably still outside the realm of uh, uh, Democrats winning. But who knows? Stranger things have happened, right? Yeah, it's a tough map. But uh, I think that the Democrats in some of the Trump states so far are polling probably better than they would have thought. 
So what, do, what, what should we expect to see from here going out? I mean, is uh, in, in the Senate race, you're kind of the point guy on the Senate race for us. Is there sort of themes that we should expect to see in the next couple of weeks uh, going into October, November? So I think, you know, uh, I think reporters get criticized for kind of focusing on the horse race and the stuff that voters don't really care about, which is like ground game and ad buying and stuff like that. The fact is, I think that uh, what it really comes down to is that Sherrod Brown had uh, last campaign finance reporting, which is kind of out of date at this point, but maybe like a month ago, had something like 10, 12 million dollars in the bank and Jim Renacci only had five. And so... Um, and probably worth mentioning that I believe somewhere around four of that was his own money, right? Yeah, basically. I mean, Renacci has not spent his money in a big way yet. And his message is a simple one. It's basically, I like Donald Trump. If you like Donald Trump, vote for me. Sherrod Brown's been in office forever, and things are pretty much the same as they've always been. And I mean, there's really not much more to dig into it than that. And so uh, I'm curious to see when Jim Renacci, because if you... Uh, Honestly, people don't even really know how to pronounce his name. Yeah, <laughs> like right. people see it and they think we're not Renegi. Yeah, right. right. People aren't going to vote for him if they don't know who he is. And at some point, the best way to communicate with the most number of voters is to start doing advertising. And that's TV, that's radio, that's increasingly these days digital. And I just haven't seen that spend. But the fact that he has $5 million in the bank, the fact that Brown's been spending money pretty consistently throughout the cycle and the race is still tightening kind of, I think, because of the national, the natural political geography of the state. Uh, Renacci is in a position to make a late push, but it just still hasn't happened. I don't, I don't know when that's going to actually take place. Let's talk about that Trump factor for just a second. So this poll also measured uh, favorable and unfavorable. And we, sh- we should mention that uh, it, the the sample that we have actually mirrors the electorate from 2016 pretty well. So it's not like this is some, uh, you know, hugely Democratic skewing poll. I mean, you could probably make an argument that it's skewing Republican for what the midterms might turn out to be. But uh, they asked the uh, favorability of uh, Donald Trump right now. Um, I believe they said, how favorable are your feelings about President Donald Trump? Uh, 49% favorable, 50 unfavorable, and 1.3% don't know or have no opinion. I would um, I, I would like to meet any of those 1.3%. I'm kind of curious about it because it seems like everybody has an opinion nowadays. Yeah, who's this Trump guy? I hear a lot about yeah, him. I just does, don't know. Yeah, don't know, haven't heard. That's not an option on this, so I'm, I'm sure everyone's probably heard of him. Anyway, um, that's actually a bit higher. That's an uptick from what we saw in kind of those tr- the cluster of June polls that we had where he was underwater by, you know, six, seven, eight points every you know, here and there. And uh, people really saying that this was going to be a referendum. But one of the more interesting uh, kind of uh, plot points that I saw on this is that uh, would knowing that President Donald Trump endorsed a certain candidate make you more or less likely to vote for that candidate? Uh, More likely to vote for the candidate, 28.7. Less likely to vote for the candidate, 42.1. No change, 29.2. It doesn't seem to me like this whole uh, leaning on the president is really the uh, the 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 route to take going forward. Or, or not that it's not the route to take. I guess you can do it, but that it doesn't seem like a successful path to victory to me. Yeah, I would say that question strikes me as the kind of thing where if you were to ask somebody something like, "Hey, do you like a guy just because somebody tells you to?" What are you going to say? Yeah, exactly. So I think people, what they say and what they do, might not completely match up on that. But I do agree that. Running, saying, if you like Trump, you'll like me because Trump likes me too, like that transitive property thing or whatever. I think it's over, overly simplistic. I think that, you know, somebody like Sherrod Brown has been around for a while. Um, I think he has his own sort of political identity that does make him distinct from sort of Democrats in general in the eyes of some voters. And so 
I think that you do have to do more than to just kind of, uh, you know, reduce it down to I like Trump, you like Trump, like me too. I just, I don't think that is enough to push you over the top. We'll have to see what kind of messaging even sticks uh, because we, we've seen Republican messaging just not really stick anywhere um, around the country. The closest thing that has kind of worked is the uh, Nancy Pelosi factor, but but Sherrod doesn't answer to Nancy Pelosi. He's in the Senate. Um, you know, some of the others, you know, we haven't seen anyone really running on the tax cuts at all. Um, it seems like a dead issue almost. Um, even though just a month ago people were saying, hey, run on tax cuts. Uh, you know, some of the outside groups were saying run on tax cuts. Um, we saw that that didn't work in the uh, Ohio's 12th district. It's like, what what messaging do you really have left um, to kind of run on? Is it, uh, you know, do you strike that chord of like the MS-13 and go down that path? Or do you really kind of like hang your hat on Brett Kavanaugh and the courts or whatever. I mean, which doesn't seem to be a resounding issue with too many people. Yeah. Well, when, again, when it comes to this race, we basically don't really have anything. I mean, you have Sherrod who's been running ads for weeks and they're basically trying to paint Renacci as this rich guy that you can't trust. And they've been hitting on uh, what I think is sort of a, a, a specious argument about Renacci being a lobbyist when he was first uh, elected there. I, I think that, the larger truth of that is that Renese is a rich guy who knows how to use the system because he's sophisticated and has the resources to kind of navigate it and stuff like that. So I think that those types of attacks kind of fall into Sherrod's wheelhouse of I'm, despite being in office for 40 years and going to Yale and that kind of stuff, like I'm a normal guy, you know, I, I'm, I'm like you and that kind of thing. And I, I think that's more of kind of like a basic level sort of thing as opposed to trying to make like a political argument per se. So um, so with Renacy, I mean, we do see him. He was uh, at a conference in D.C. this week for a, a group that's trying to, I guess, anti-immigration is what I'd call them. I mean, he does a lot of local talk radio hits with conservative hosts. He does these kind of like small events that are kind of outside of our uh, sphere of what we pay attention to, because basically his his tar- strategy is to um, drive up turnout in some of these kind of outlying areas that are sort of outside of the core uh, cities that um, that tend to be easier for us to track and also just because they're more like Democratic strongholds. We haven't even touched on uh, this poll was taken before the Bob Woodward book came out or before the New York Times like kind of clandestine op-ed came out and all that. So we have no idea what the reaction is going to be to that. But Yeah, uh, I think I tend to think with Renacy, their best bet, I think Democrats are fired up. I think they kind of know about that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that stuff has the effect of turning off some of the Republicans who kind of reluctantly support Trump or kind of more the traditional Republicans. And then I think, you know, the differences maybe are really marginal as far as like the people who are outside of those two camps. Um, but, you know, I guess uh, I guess we'll have to see. get capital letter it's the must-have daily read for state house happenings five mornings a week cleveland.com provides a daily intelligence briefing filled with succinct timely information it's perfect for people businesses and organizations that care about decisions made by lawmakers the governor and all of state government from breaking news to rumblings in the rotunda if you're not getting capital letter you're missing out for more information visit cleveland.com slash capital letter that's cleveland.com slash C-A-P-I-T-O-L-L-E-T-T-E-R. So, but we're talking about this poll, obviously, and we mentioned kind of like the surprise that it came out. So, Seth, why do you suppose that Innovation Ohio decided to release this poll? I'm guessing they decided to release this poll because while it may have been kind of a weak 
uh, showing for Sherrod Brown. It's actually a pretty strong showing for Richard Cordray, the Democrat running for governor against uh, you know Mike DeWine, who we already touched on, the Republican. Uh, in these results, we're looking at um, you know when they're head to head with undecided voters, 43-43, straight up head to head. Now, when you throw in the uh, third party candidates and you take away the undecided option and you know say would not vote. Uh, Dwine takes a slight lead, 45 to 43, still a margin of error race. You're at a three-point margin of error. Um, that is that that is a surprisingly good showing to me, considering that Cordray has just been getting hammered by the Republican Governors Association. Uh, you know, Mike DeWine's been up with ads basically saying he enabled rapists, and uh, the Republican Party's put up ads, you know, about the Nazi gaffe and whatnot. And then his time at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So it's surprising that he's been able to kind of weather a lot of these um, these negative attack ads and really hasn't seen too much of a drop in sort of his popularity. Yeah, and I think that I do think of Innovation Ohio as basically being uh, a firm that's most interested in state government. They were founded by remnants of Ted Strickland's uh, campaign for governor. And so I think that the thing that kind of gives me more currency that this poll, while polls, you know, the general disclaimers about them applying, about being a snapshot in time and blah, 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 uh, it's sort of an embarrassing result when it comes to the Senate race, and it's not helpful to the cause. But showing the governor's race as being close, you know, obviously they wanted to try to get that out, and they probably figured that reporters wouldn't write about it if they didn't release the whole thing, or maybe they just believe in transparency, they release the whole thing, like, God bless them, you know, but... Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, when you talk to people uh, about what their internal numbers show, uh, we do think that this is basically a legitimate representation of how the the general contours of this race look. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I, you know, I'd heard some rumblings about DeWine really kind of running away with uh, some of the numbers and granted live by the polls, die by the polls and all that. But um, this is about what people have kind of you know, expected when I talk to him around the state, they say, oh, you know, it's a toss up with maybe a slight lean toward DeWine just, you know, given it's a midterm year and DeWine's got more name ID and is also, uh, while not technically an incumbent, very much, uh, you know, has the, uh, the, the incumbency advantage by holding office for the last eight years and then the previous, you know, however many, 30 before that. Um, you know, what we've seen in that race, though, is just um, I, I'm not expecting a whole lot of necessarily positive uh, ads to come out of the Mike DeWine camp. We've seen two negatives already. Um, you know, the first one I mentioned with the rape kits. Uh, and then there was a second ad that basically played off um, uh, some of these uh, claims against Richard Cordray saying that there, it was a, a toxic workplace at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. There were some congressional hearings about that, and um, they really just kind of put up the uh, some of the testimony on there sort of let that talk. So I'm not expecting too many positive ads from the Mike DeWine camp. Uh, the interesting thing is you look at sort of what Cordray's doing, and it's it seems like he's trying to appear like your goofy uncle with kind of a bad haircut who sort of makes jokes at his own expense, which he's really been doing on a lot of uh, these digital ads. You know, you've seen him read the quote-unquote mean tweets or whatever. I don't I don't know that they're necessarily too mean, except the one who said he looked like Kenneth from uh, 30 Rock, which basically everyone has said. Um, but he's taking this sort of different approach. I haven't really seen him go too terribly negative in his ads against Mike DeWine, at least on TV or on digital um, so I'm expecting that race is probably only going to get uglier as time goes on, oh, whereas, boy. whereas interest may wane somewhat, uh, from the outside groups and, uh, uh, in the Senate race, I'm expecting it's going to be even, uh, there's going to be even more interest on the governor's race just simply because this is a pickup opportunity for the Democrats and they don't have many pickup opportunities in, um, state houses. Yeah. I tend to think of elections as being, obviously, I think people kind of know what both parties stand for as far as like more or less government and that kind of thing. And there is that kind of macro thing. And so that's sort of baked in the environment, I think. But then 
when it comes to, again, just kind of like appealing at the margins a little bit more, it's more of a, I think it can be a contrast of style or personality and that kind of thing. And I, so I think it's actually pretty smart that Cordray is out there doing these goofy ads. Mm. Um, he is relatively young compared to DeWine. He is, can present himself as being kind of more fun, whereas DeWine's always pretty stiff in sort of his public perceptions and his appearances and stuff like that. And, you know, Cordray is not exactly, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of start break dancing or something like that. But at the same time, you know, I think they are trying to, you know, give him a little touch of humor. And I, I think that's smart. I mean, again, because some of these big picture things are just out of their control. One interesting factor, we talked about the Trump favorability and kind of how Jim Renacci is running as this like hugging Trump candidate. You're not really seeing that from Mike DeWine. He's not exactly distancing himself or anything like that. But what he is doing is sort of saying like, yeah, you know, the president supports me, but let's look over here real quick. You know, that kind of thing. Um, One interesting note from the uh, state Republican Party dinner, which is, you know, where Trump headlined is – you know, the the president said, you know, a couple things of, um, about DeWine really attacked Richard Cordray. They've got a grudge, there's no doubt. And uh, when DeWine got up there, he basically kind of just said, like, well, thanks, Mr. President. Let's talk about something else now real quick. And I think he's basically kind of trying to put some distance between himself and the president, especially seeing what a lot of moderates sort of think about the president and considering DeWine has always been considered a more sort of moderate presence. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the uh, Renacy results kind of compare to the DeWine results and uh, w- what that means for strategy for Republicans going forward. Yeah, I think he's been around long enough that he's savvy to know that you don't want to tie yourself to one person too much, especially mm. somebody like Trump, where you literally never know what he's going to say. Mm. And so I, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense. But so we mentioned earlier about Cordray breakdancing. So you didn't get to see him breakdance, Seth, but I guess I understand it's almost as good. I don't know if Cordray can breakdance or not. I'll have to check in with the campaign on that. But um, I did get to do kind of a fun uh, sort of uh, assignment, I guess you could call it, where um, I really I went and watched him play basketball. You know, we had him on the show and he talked to, you know, a little bit about playing basketball and whatnot. Um, but he still plays pickup games while he's on the campaign trail, which is one of the more kind of interesting aspects about it. You don't exactly look at the guy or hear the guy and think, oh, that guy can, you know, play on the court. I mean, he's almost 60 years old. He's not, he's no spring chicken or anything out there. Yeah. And we, we learned that Cordray was a basketball player actually when we researched, bring him on the podcast earlier this year. And so here's a, a clip of Cordray talking about, you know, we asked, do you got game? Well, here's what he said. What pro player would you compare yourself to today? Oh, that's interesting. Um, that's interesting. Actually, as I've aged, I think I've, uh, I hate to sound critical, but because I'm not, I'm a fan of his, I've developed moves more like Kevin Love. I hang out around the three-point line or I go in and post up smaller guys. I'm not all that mobile, though. And it's interesting. He made that same comparison when I asked him uh, on, uh, I went from Sunday night, he played kind of in, kind of in the middle between all of these Labor Day activities, which was really interesting because it seems like a pretty grueling time to try to set up a pickup basketball yeah, game at hot. 9.30 in a non-air-conditioned gym in right. Lorraine, Ohio. Um, but I have to say it, he, he started off pretty slow. He, uh, he, he didn't seem like he was on his game. Yeah, I was not impressed by the clips that you showed me. Not at all. And, uh, but, but he really found his groove. It was, it, it seemed like there was a switch that kind of flipped. He, he shot a three pointer and just airmailed it entirely, just completely missed it. 
But then all of a sudden after that, he seemed to have found his groove because he just started sinking buckets after that. And I don't know if it was everybody else who was there kind of tiring down. This is game three of, uh, I think I believe they played three games. That would be the old man game. It's just yeah, kind right. of like Waited let everybody out. else get all tuckered out. Yeah. And, I, and I don't want to say he was bad or anything the first two games or anything. He was perfectly fine on defense. He just wasn't really performing on offense all that much. After he airballed that three, though, he just started sinking buckets. And you really saw a side of Richard Cordray that you don't normally see. I mean, Every anytime you see him, he's going to be kind of quiet and uh, collegial, and I mean, he'll admit it, nerdy. And uh, he, I mean, he was kind of trash talking. I mean, I guess what qualifies for his version of trash talking. Yeah, what did on he the say court. to you? He said something really nerdy and specific. So he he caught a pass from Lorraine Mayer Chase Rittenauer, who's a younger guy, and ended up shooting the jumper. And um, he looks over at me, and he's just like, "You see this? Uh, you see this collaboration between state and municipal government, Seth?" Which you know, that's probably about as trash talk as you're going to get from the guy. But I, I did find it pretty humorous. So yeah, it's, it's no, you know, Jordan to Pippen or whatever. No, no, no. I mean, it might be as good a Jordan to Pippen as you're going to get in uh, uh, government Ohio. But I, I, I guess I don't know who the best basketball players are in the state. I mean, maybe we, we might have to set up some kind of. Uh, charity game for the like republicans versus democrats or something like that definitely merits further investigation i think definitely so uh you guys can check out that piece it's going to be up uh, if it's not up already it's going to be up pretty soon um we will have some video of cordray playing some basketball as well so i highly recommend going and watching that so other than, you know, Richard Cordray raining jump shots, uh, what are you looking for in the governor's race coming up? I guess the one thing that I want to see going forward besides the tone of the campaign is uh, President Barack Obama is coming to campaign for Richard Cordray in what is one of his first campaign rallies of the midterm cycle. He's really kept a low profile besides issuing some endorsements earlier in the summer, uh, but he's going to be back in Cleveland next week, uh, next Thursday, um, campaigning for Richard Cordray. So it does set up this really interesting proxy war of sorts between is this a Trump state or is this an Obama state? Um, I, I don't I don't know who or what it's a referendum on, but um, it'll definitely be telling to see if Obama, who won this state twice, still has any play in the um, in the state or if that even really matters and how much Cordray really tries to hang his laurels on that and run on, um, you know, Obama. So what about DeWine? For DeWine, I think it's also going to be interesting to see how, you know, how, how does he play this race going out, especially as it pertains to the president. Um, is he going to hug the president a little more? Is he just going to ignore the president and kind of do what he's been doing and hand out cookbooks at every county fair that he can? And um, is he going to keep this uh, the, sort of the negative campaigning up? Is that going to be his M.O.? I mean, he's, we've seen that he's not afraid to go negative in the past, and he's definitely got a lot of outside help who are going to help him go negative. Um, but does he switch to kind of some positive campaigning or does he follow kind of the, um, the pattern that other Republicans around the nation have followed and just really just go negative? Don't even worry about the positive ad. Yeah, he's been kind of rolling out his policy plans every once in a while, and that's sort of been a continuing thing for him. And they do get some coverage from us and you know outlets like us, but it's not necessarily something that's moving large numbers of voters or anything like that. You want to see if he uh, transitions into a more... Um, I don't want to call it a dated approach because it's not dated. He's proven it's effective however many times. I mean, he's only lost you know a handful of elections in his career, and he's won some very big ones. Um, but does he transition to a kind of new age campaign or whatever? Does he, does he transition to that 21st century campaign? Um, my guess is no. He probably sticks to, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, but we'll see if he kind of switches up the strategy to see if he can reach more voters, especially if the electorate looks a lot different this time around than it did in 2016. 
What about you? You got what are you watching for in the uh, Senate race? So we do have some Senate debates coming up. Supposedly, we've uh, that kind of spilled out earlier this summer when they got into an argument about whether they agreed to do it or not. But uh, kind of targeting that, I think it's going to be like later September, earlier October, and that's going to be a chance to kind of contrast them and you know kind of at least. Um, give us something to kind of like hang on to but yeah other than that i think it's kind of a waiting game for me are they still going to be doing the full debate on the tax cuts or whatever i remember that was uh, a sticking point at one yeah. point i don't know if it actually happened it was you know uh when i wrote that story i wrote something like they're they're debating each other and that's all you need to know but if you want to know more and then blah 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 so there's a whole bunch of stuff and uh i don't think they're going to just debate the tax thing but you know who knows i guess they might be debating that as we speak behind the scenes well debates should be fun i'm expecting we're going to see some from the gubernatorial campaigns here pretty soon don't know exactly when but uh we'll we'll get some i guess cordial arguing as a as opposed to like just tv arguing here before too long oh boy yeah. So uh, with that, we will be back with uh, interviews next week, like kind of our normal schedule. Uh, give us some feedback on this. Let us know if you guys like it. If you hate it, hey, we'll drop it. Like I said, it's our podcast, so we can do whatever we want with it. But we want to make sure that you guys like what we're doing, too. So, all right, everybody, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Okay.